Thank you for waiting. We're now boarding all passengers on No Blackout Dates Airlines. All aboard No Blackout Dates to... Wait. Where the hell are we going? No Blackout Dates. New York Blackout Dates. Good to see you. Good to see you. How you doing? Not for nothing really and truly all day long like 7-Eleven. I just get up, sprint away from her. I don't even know if I said goodbye. Chased out of a neighborhood by Hezbollah and Beirut. I've probably caused more harm in the world than good. What's up, everybody? This is Tim. And this is Evan. And you are listening to No Blackout Dates. Glad you joined us for another episode. we got a great one in store for you today with our good friend, Conrad, founder of the Trip Scout app. Yeah, we're really excited to talk to Conrad. He's been to over 100 countries, I think. He has an awesome travel app, a YouTube show with millions of views, and is just all around killing it in the travel sphere. So yeah, we can't wait to talk to him. Yeah, and he's also got a last name that I'm going to attempt to pronounce. I believe it's Wallach Juski. Uh, I, I feel like in the past, I pronounced these these uh, Euro-sounding names, particularly Eastern Europe, very well because I had a friend, still a friend, in high school named Megan Ripkowski, who she told me I was the first person to ever pronounce her name correctly. So Shout out to Megan. Yeah, shout out to Megan. I wanted to have Conrad on the show as one of our first guests because I wanted someone whose name was as hard to pronounce as mine. And that just that's kind of gives me a little boost, you know? His is a little different in a way, though, because his actually is hard to pronounce your name is just an optical illusion yeah they think too hard about it they they're like e even even not evan kevin edwin edmund devin and definitely not even even just eben with a b is, is your name actually ebenezer oh my god nothing is worse than when people ask me is your name short for ebenezer like ebenezer scrooge do you hate christmas yeah yeah, I hate Christmas. I mean, do you hate Christmas? All right, let's set the record straight right here. I've been marathon watching A Christmas Story, and it's only October, just to stay sharp, just to stay excited, just to get pumped up for the season. I've written my letters to Santa for my Red Rider BB gun. I'm ready to go. Does that answer your question, Tim? Yeah, he's a big Christmas guy. He's from Boston, so his parents wanted a grouch. That's why they named him Ebenezer. Yeah, so Christmas aside, we're just fighting the good fight of correct name pronunciation on this podcast, starting with Conrad Wallajewski. Wallajewski. All right. Well, Conrad's going to be on in just a minute. Uh, it's actually a really cool conversation. Conrad has a lot of, a lot of thoughts on where travel is going, how we're going to get there, and what's going to change between the way we traveled pre-COVID and the way we're going to travel uh, during and post COVID. So stick around for that. So Evan, before we get in with Conrad, I know you were just in Alaska and speaking of COVID travel, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Cause I'm kind of curious. That's, I haven't gone anywhere near that far since COVID started. And I thought about shaming you, but I didn't. Yeah. I was a little concerned about travel shaming, but I, I mean, it's weird. Cause as a travel writer, you feel this weird sense of responsibility to set the right example for people travel wise. And I mean, it's like, I don't know if people are looking to me to set an example for them, they are wildly misguided. And, you know, anyway, I was going to the most remote, socially distanced place in Alaska you could possibly go to. So I feel like it was a pretty guilt free trip. Did anybody hate on you? 
Nope. But actually, they're all about the mask wearing up there. And I didn't think that would be the case. You get up into the middle of literally nowhere, these towns that have like 17 people that live in them, and they are religious about the masks. And I think it's because of the proximity to indigenous communities who are more susceptible to the virus because they have no like healthcare infrastructure. So the people who live up there in these towns off the main road are very aware of that. And they're aware that they're kind of the gateway to these indigenous people. So they do what they can to keep it, keep it safe and keep themselves safe and keep everyone um, healthy. Fair enough. Well, good for them for that. Well, it looks like Conrad is about ready to join us. So let's get into it. We'll see you on the other side. All right. Well, Conrad, welcome to the No Blackout State podcast, man. It's uh, it's good to finally see your face and hear your voice. I know we've interacted on social quite a bit, but uh, never in person. Yeah, I'm pumped to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me. So first thing I want to touch on is your app, man. Tell me a little bit about uh, about Trip Scout and and what you're doing with it and, and where it came from. Because the interesting thing about Trip Scout is, to me, you kind of take the best things about all the media site apps that are out there in the travel space and bring them together. So I, I imagine that's what you were going for, but I'm probably missing something too. So Travelers don't want a single source of truth. They don't want to follow one person's advice or one publication's advice. Uh, yet that's kind of what every media publication does. And so what we realized is like we, uh, we could build a, a, a product that essentially mimics the way people actually, like all the cumbersome things people actually do, which is they Google a bunch of stuff, they open up a hundred tabs, they read through a bunch of different blogs, they copy paste things into spreadsheets and then organize that and then they copy and paste that into Google Maps and they do all these things uh, and actually love the part that's like reading, you know, spending 30 hours per trip reading content, discovering what you're going to do. But then it's all the like the nuanced stuff in between that gets a little bit in the way. So, um, you know, when you, you go into our app, you tell us where you're going, what dates, who you're traveling, like what kind of person you're traveling with. And like we give you a personalized feed, our technology indexes all the world's content from top publications to local bloggers and gives you a personalized feed of the things that are specifically relevant to you, which might be different if it's a weekend trip versus a two week trip, or might be different if you have kids or you're by yourself, or it might be different, different if you're in the winter versus the summer. Uh, and then every place that's mentioned in that article or video is tagged back to our database of hundred million points of interest. So as you're just binging on great content, one tap, saves it to a map and a list and itinerary and you can then organize however you want to go uh, go use to explore and destination. So I, I have my personal favorite travel publications, but I'd be curious to hear if there's anybody uh, in your experience that is A, awesome, or B, a pain in the ass to uh, to work with or to aggregate from or uh, to, to build trust with for your readers. You know, it's, it's interesting. Like I think the best by far tends to be location specific. It's the local bloggers that are in a specific destination. They know their city best, they're there. They're not just someone, a journalist who like flew somewhere and wrote about it. The personal pet peeve that I have that I think is the absolutely the worst content in travel, it's the biggest tourist trap in the travel industry is TripAdvisor. 
Um, you know, and I'm probably speaking to the choir on uh, on hating on them, but if you just look at the nature of how TripAdvisor is built, it is uh, when I'm traveling to I don't know to Paris, I don't want to know what Debbie from Kansas thought was an authentic French bistro, much less 500 you know Debbies from Kansas. No, no offense to anyone from Kansas, it's a great place. No, I, 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 I've always thought that, and I've always wondered why people put so much value into other random people's reviews. Like, I, I don't get it. I've never understood that. Yeah, and, and think about it. Like, it's you also have no context of who that person is. So exactly. You could there could be let's just say the best hostel in the world, and if you were a backpacker, you would be like, this is a five star, amazing place, my favorite hostel in the world. And then if someone else is, you know, Dutch aristocracy, they're going to be like, oh, my gosh, what a dump. This is, you know, this is one star. And so as you as a reader, like, how do you decipher between five stars and one stars? Um, and plus, most of the stuff on there is, uh, you know, heavily driven by people who are just trying to get who are savvy at marketing and find ways to get fake uh, or inflated uh, reviews. I was going to say, I'll confirm that with this with by admitting something that might be kind of shameful but years ago when i was first getting started as a writer i had a contract with a company that sold tripadvisor and google reviews to companies and so part of my job was to write these bullshit reviews for people it it was it was awful yeah oh i love that yeah and so i love when tripadvisor says there there are no fake reviews and then there are people yeah. like you who made a living okay well here's the thing though it's tripadvisor is basically a outlet for grievances right like if i have a ryanair flight from like barcelona to sweden and it goes fine you know we get we take off on time we land on time everything goes fine that's like 99 percent of flights do i'm not gonna go sit on tripadvisor and write about how amazing it was i'm just i'm just not but if the slightest thing goes wrong, Debbie from Kansas is going to sit down and brandish her deadliest weapon, which is her keyboard fingers, and write a strongly worded TripAdvisor review about how uh, the airline is a death trap because the, air, the flight attendant forgot to bring her her bottle of water. <laughs> so I, I think totally. that I, I would be interested to see the uh, ratio of negative reviews to positive reviews and what that balance is like. So what I'm curious to what consistencies you found uh, as far as friendliness and hospitality around the world. And if there's anything anywhere that stands out as being a striking definition of that or strikingly different. A place like Russia, like it seems colder until you actually break the surface and, and you realize that there's just different ways of showing and manifesting that, um, that curiosity. But there, I mean, there's a few places that really stand out, you know, um, certainly, uh, the Philippines is probably one of the, just the most fun and welcoming and loving places you, you can imagine. I mean, their biggest industry is exporting their people and caretaking roles. So if you really need like a, a hospitable, uh, national psyche for that, um, I would say almost anywhere in the Middle East really embodies that hospitality, especially somewhere like Egypt. Once a country really gets richer and uh, more developed, that's when they start to lose that hospitality just because people are busy and people have priorities. And As a frequent solo traveler, how do you think of that compared to group travel? Because I'm not a solo travel guy and I'm always kind of in awe of people who choose to, to do that. It, it just puts you in a different headspace and also makes you more approachable to 
people you meet, um, you're not preoccupied and you're a little bit more, uh, I guess, vulnerable to the place. And so uh, I've always had some of the best experiences of my life traveling by myself. Yeah, when you're with a, a group of friends, I feel like you have the safety net where you're kind of, it's it's easy to just fall back into, okay, I don't have to meet new people and I don't have to, unless they come up to me, you know, you can just kind of cruise around with your friends. And- it's very easy to, to not be traveling when you're with your friends. If you're with your friends, it's very easy to be doing the exact same thing you otherwise would be doing just in a different, in a different setting. Yeah, and I think when you're by yourself, every little thing because it's on adventure like even the most mundane things like hey i'm out of toothpaste let me go find a store let me go try to figure out and talk to the person then they're going to be like hey what are you doing and why are you here and then that opens up like one thing leads to another it's almost like this choose your own adventure novel that starts um but when you're or if you're sitting at a bar or a restaurant by yourself almost always a table next to you or someone on the other end of the bar be like, Hey, where are you from? But if you're sitting there deep in conversation with four people, like no one's going to approach you unless they're trying to scam you or sell you something usually because, uh, because you're like, you know, you're preoccupied and it's also to them, it's a little bit more intimidating. Like when you're by yourself, you're just clearly this person doesn't know anyone, but when you're with a group of people, no one wants to like come up and think you don't want to talk to them. I, I used to have this huge mental block against traveling by myself, especially going to bars by myself or restaurants, I always was, I felt like everyone was looking at me. If you go out by yourself, you're just forced to either interact with someone, reach out and kind of take that risk or just be the awkward guy sitting alone in the corner. And more often than not, you're gonna, you're gonna reach out and talk to someone. And that's, that's how you really have an experience. Yeah. And you know, even, Certainly, almost all the good experiences come from what exactly what you described, um, but not always. And in the times that nothing happens and you just sit alone and eat your food, like it is also a refreshing change of pace to like you know hang out with yourself. You know, too often you don't really get that time and you don't really break that routine. So I think even even when just being by yourself is like and having a drink with yourself is sometimes a very healthy uh, way to kind of just check in on, on life. It is. And it's very bizarre if you're not used to it. And if you don't do it a lot, it's like, I, I remember the first time I really traveled for work by myself and I was at this like nice restaurant and just sitting there across from an empty chair. And I was like, everyone knows, everyone knows I'm by myself. Like they think, they think I'm like, they think I got stood up. Like they think who knows what they think, but they're all thinking about me. And like, the fact is you have to learn to slow down and just sit in the silence and sit and kind of enjoy your own company and it's tough it's a learned it's a learned thing i think yeah if you don't want to have dinner with yourself why would anyone else exactly exactly but the thing is is that those people are probably partially sitting there wondering about your allure that you're so cool that you're in this place by yourself when they're with their family or with their friends and not having as exciting as experience as they probably could be. Yeah. Check out these losers going to bars and restaurants with their family and friends. One of my earliest travel memories that, you know, got me hooked was like taking that flight by myself, you know, and, uh, they used to, they had to, I mean, I think they still have, they had these programs where your parents would drop you off and there was like someone to escort you, uh, you know, to make your connection and get to the other place. And my dad would pick me up. And the very first time I did that, it's like eight years old when we landed they said hey make sure you know when i got on the plane they said make sure you sit here and 
don't get off until you know the person escort comes and gets you and i just found some young couple that looked like they would be parents and i just followed them out and just like explore the airport on my own and i remember being like that was like the ultimate freedom for a kid you know where it's like again now i think about well, it's an international airport it's not that exciting but for you know for a you know eight or nine year old hey i'm 30 and i still do that airport escort thing but uh, i just do it to meet flight attendants so <laughs> it's how he gets his dates when he that sounds, like, that sounds like a that sounds like a different service yeah somehow <laughs> it never quite works out for me so international travel in the time of covid are you wary of it have you done it are you doing it will you do it when will you do it will you shame people for doing it what's the deal yeah and i and i'm wary on it not personally i'm wary on it because we live in a country that is handling it extremely poorly. So I wouldn't want to contribute to the, the spread of it. I mean, statistically it would be safer personally to be traveling somewhere else, you know, because you'd be in a place that has most likely has it contained, but I think it's more so from, I want to be a responsible citizen and not, not fly around. Right. And now there's this idea though of travel shaming, which we've talked about before. And here on the podcast, we are a judgment-free zone, but we are not a judgment-free country. And it's a very real thing. And it's tough because it's a counterbalance to that very intense itch to travel for a lot of people. You have to follow the science. And the science tells us to not do a lot of things. Um, but it also has shown, at least so far, that the air filtration of planes, the, the fact that planes are fairly distanced because demand is so low and while wearing a mask like is not more of a risk than doing a lot of things like going to the grocery store i mean i think as far as the shaming goes part of it is that people will particularly on social media as we've seen in politics and sports and everything else people will criticize somebody that they've never met and never will meet at the drop of a hat you know, if they're following a hashtag and they see somebody where, somewhere where they think they shouldn't be. I mean, I know we had a colleague at Matador that posted uh, some photos of him at an at a, a state park, I believe, in California back in like June. And he got reamed by like random people that he's never met in his life. Yeah. But there are things we can do and there are things that can be normal. And it seems like the outdoor stuff is the stuff that we can do, though, which, you know, they kind of like... Oh, yeah which is essentially what I do all the time anyway. And I have to say my social media posting has dropped by like 90% because I don't want to deal with any of this shaming. It's interesting. You know? It's, it's, it's interesting that, uh, so the, the, the pressure from the, the internet trolls is not necessarily changing what you're doing. It's, but it's changing how you share about it. It's, it's making me keep it to myself. It's what it's doing. All right. Well, let's do a little hypothetical here. So COVID's over. No more COVID. It's done. It's whatever, five, six months down the line. COVID's done. Everyone's normal. Do you think that in a post-COVID world, travel goes back to normal, goes back to the way it was? Does it change? Is the way people travel different? How does this crisis shape the travel sphere going forward? So I think business travel does not recover. Ever. It never goes back because we have you for the first time you have zoom and it works and it's effective and and people know how to use it now and they're not afraid of this stuff anymore you know and the companies are realizing how much money they're saving by not spending fifty thousand dollars a month flying their employees around you know totally and i think it so. i don't think it goes away but you just realize that like 
one out of five meetings if the client has to be in person or one out of four board meetings for an investor should be in person. Like the rest of it, you're just going to realize you can do it on Zoom because it's very effective. It saves a ton of money. Um, so I think I think business travel never recovers. And that's going to make the entire industry have to now all of a sudden pay attention to the, the leisure traveler. And now the leisure traveler um, is going to have more demand to travel, more interest to travel um, because of this pandemic, you know, once it's over. And then on top of that, um, think about all those people who traveled every week for work, the consultants, the salespeople that, you know, before the last thing they wanted to do was come home and get on a plane and go somewhere for the weekend. Now they're going to be like, I haven't left anywhere in four weeks. I'm really dying to go somewhere. You kind of took the words out of my mouth a little bit with the the leisure thing, but because I think one thing that is going to drive the recovery is and and is that people that are working online, which there are more than ever, they're going to be going. Okay, I'm going to go. If you live in you know Denver or you live in L.A., I'm going to go to the mountains for a few days because it doesn't matter. I can work from this hotel. You're going to start to see hotels, which you're already seeing in a lot of places with you know, catering to co-working in their lobby, having coffee shops on site that they know are going to guarantee has fiber internet. You're going to see a lot more of that stuff. And I think that's going to be the way that travel is going to evolve out of this is it's going to become a more full circle embodiment of travel as a lifestyle, not travel as an addition to your home lifestyle. As you know, people in the travel industry and as someone that's worked remotely for years, it's to me, it doesn't seem like that much of a shift. But even when I say these things to my wife, she's like, you got to realize that 95% of people, that's groundbreaking. 100%. 100%. Could not, could not agree more. Um, yeah, no, it's going to create a lot more. And that's one of the things that I hope is you both touched on this. Like, it, it, there's so much of this just like the, and I think Instagram and social had like influences a lot, but there was this almost just like this this check the box. I want to show my experiences and I want to try to cram a bunch of stuff and like show off with it. Um, and, and then, you know, you had all these issues that uh, came out of that, like lower satisfaction, also over tourism and environmental issues that were from people just overrunning the destination. And we've never and as an industry had an opportunity to just like everyone pause and reflect and like reset. And, what I was hopeful, hoping for is like that when we come back to it, people go back with a little bit more intention. Well, uh, I guess before we move on to our next segment, um, I just want to touch on your travel experiences one more time. You know, in all of the in all the countries you've been to and all the experiences you've had, have you ever been disappointed or let down by uh, your expectation of a country versus the reality of actually being there? Yeah. So it's interesting because like I've had, I've certainly had a lot of negative experience. I've been sick from all sorts of different things, like whether it's food or, you know, some crazy virus in a lot of places. I've got to my hotel late at, you know, at midnight and realized I booked it for the wrong week. I've, uh, I've, you know, had flight after flight get canceled. You're stuck in airports for days. I've had, I've been chased out of, uh, a neighborhood by Hezbollah in Beirut. Jesus Christ. Well, I actually only robbed once out of all my travels. I only robbed once. Uh, yeah, but there's like a lot of things that um, I think are were uncomfortable, but at the end, like they have always 
worked out, knock on wood, and they also, those do create the best stories. And so um, I think like one of the things that travel, I, like one of the most important values that I think travel really helps like instill in someone's like to be comfortable being uncomfortable. The only place that I felt like actually met my expectation was, uh, was Ireland. Just because like, I don't know, I landed, it was, I got into Dublin, it was pouring down rain. I like stumbled into the first bar that I saw. Everyone was, you know, drinking beer, singing like songs about how horrible everything is, but how great it's going to work out just fine. I was like, rain, pubs, like, yeah, this looks exactly like I would imagine. Yeah, but like everything else, like, I don't know. I, I just think it's uh, like you hear about the, what, uh, what is it called? The Paris syndrome or Japanese, uh, a lot of Japanese travelers had built up Paris as this like epitome of beauty and just perfection. And then they get there and they see like some homeless person being on the street and then they see pollution and they see just like a normal city stuff and it just like shatters their like oh wow what i thought was perfect but i guess i just never had that and i've always just kind of like traveled a little bit more just with open eyes so i agree i haven't had any any places really that i've been like oh man you know i i, I hate this but there have been a lot of places that particularly i would say with food like vietnam has the best food i've ever had in my entire life and like before I went there, I knew I liked pho and this and that, but I did not expect it to be as amazing as it was. Like every, I, I was fully expecting on my first time in Southeast Asia that Thailand was going to be the best best food I've ever had. And the food in Thailand is, yeah. is great. But the food in Vietnam is leagues beyond anything I'd ever had in my life. And it was, it, 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 it totally like came away like Vietnam stole the show of that trip, both both in the food and the beaches and and the people it, it, I don't know, that was it. I've had many more of those experiences where something comes out of left field and makes something that is otherwise awesome seem a little less remarkable because it was that much more awesome. Yeah, no, totally. And I think Vietnam is one of the best travel experiences. Like if someone, uh, if someone is just like, Hey, I don't know, I want to go somewhere. I haven't traveled that much. So yeah. You can't go wrong with Vietnam. Like, and yeah, to your point, the best food you'll ever have and it costs you, you know, less than $2 for a meal. Well, uh, our, our next segment that we do is we have a guest read a travel story, and it's pretty funny. So I think you'll get a kick out of this, Conrad. So this person, who I guess will not be named, right? <clears throat> yeah, we, yeah we, uh, we, we spare people the shame of naming them. I guess unless they specifically ask them to. Yeah, <laughs> so to. this person said, I spent a few months in Bali in 2015, didn't take long for me to meet someone I was attracted to. After a couple of weeks, I got up the nerve to ask her out on a date. The dinner went well. We laughed and ate and had a good time. Then the bill came. I reached into my pocket and I realized I had forgotten my wallet. I panicked. I made a quick decision to go to an ATM and pull out some cash. I walked up to the ATM to get some cash and entered my pen. I stood waiting to get my cash. The screen told me that I had reached my daily limit and wouldn't get me any cash. I went back to the restaurant and embarrassed and dreading that conversation that would follow. Fortunately, she had some cash and I agreed to take her out again in a couple days to make up for the debt. Fortunately, she agreed. A couple nights later, we tried again, this time at a nice vegan place, a very typical Bali night out. Then came time to pay. And as you might have guessed, I forgot my wallet again. And this time the bill was three times 
what it was the time before. Not only that, I realized I had left my wallet in a pair of pants that I dropped off at the roadside laundry stand earlier that day. So there was now a chance that I totally screwed myself for long beyond this one dinner. My date paid again, but I didn't have the courage to ask her out a third time. She left to Bali to head back to Australia a couple weeks later, and within a month, I noticed she unfriended me on Facebook. Well, the interesting thing about this story, it also seems like a little bit of a, a waste of, or like a, a irrelevant crisis because, I mean, it, it was Bali, so the meal was probably like a couple bucks. So even the nice vegan meals, maybe thirty dollars for two people with drinks. And also, you have uh, you do have things like Venmo, you know that. Uh, Right. So it seems like there were other solutions. So maybe she unfriended him uh, for his, uh, not for the money, but for the reliability uh, or the uh, clumsiness. Yeah. Uh, Let's just say it. She unfriended him for his personality. And I mean, honestly, in hindsight, it's kind of a genius move on his part. He forgets, quote, forgets his wallet, uh, you know, gets two free meals out of it. And this is a girl he was never going to see any again anyway because it, she was from Australia, right? She, this whole thing had an expiration date. So I don't know. I think this guy might be a secret genius. <laughs> had that been a night in like Tokyo or Paris, that might have, or like you know, an expensive dinner place that might have been like a, a, a higher stakes uh, little little trick. But uh, cool. Well, thanks for reading the story. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Conrad. Yeah, likewise. Uh, good luck uh, with the new podcast. Uh, excited to follow along and uh, be a new listener. Absolutely. Appreciate it, man. Right on, man. Take care, guys. Cheers. All right. So now we're in our final section, the good old lightning round. Evan and Tim rabbit firing each other. Don't be gross, Tim. Yeah, that does. We won't repeat that. It doesn't hurt that when you look at our logo, it totally looks like we're holding hands behind the globe. I mean, it is 2020, man. Come at us. All right, Evan, question number one. Who have you met that totally let you down? Um, I met in, I think it was 2015. I met Snooki from the Jersey Shore. It, it was it was that kind of like a this this promotional event thing that she was at, and she was just kind of mingling. And I was there with my friend who has the same last name as her. And so he went up to her and was like, hey, like, Nicole, right? Like, we have the same last name, Polizzi. And she just looks at him. She's like, oh, okay. She's probably like, you're so lame. Why did you say that? Could not care less. Uh, Actually, in the same vein, I saw Gronk, Rob Gronkowski at Mohegan Sun. And he was at the the nightclub. uh, It's called Ultra. And he shows up with, like, a bunch of his boys and goes up on stage and i'm like okay like gronk is gonna you know he's gonna rage because every time you see gronk and uh you know on on a video on social media he's just absolutely having the best time of his life and the guy sat in a chair in the corner of the stage the entire night and just pouted didn't get up slowly sadly sipped his sipped his corona and that was it that was, that was my Gronk experience. And he's like the one guy who you think is always on, always in a good mood, always ready to party. And he looked like he wanted to kill himself. Is he like as awkwardly large in person as he seems on TV? Uh, he's huge. And the second he walked in, every single girl in the entire club just spontaneously started twerking in his direction, which is weird because when I walk into a room, nobody does that. No, I don't think so. No, me either. 
Actually, when we were in San Diego at that club uh, near the beach that one night, and all those girls were twerking in the bar, that was the first time I've ever seen anybody twerk in person. I think <laughs> that that I I just aged myself there probably, but uh, you know, when I was when I was a young, going out college age kid, twerking hadn't been invented yet. Now those were simpler, more innocent times. Yeah. What are your thoughts on drinking on a plane? And the reason I ask is mostly in relation to assuming you're not in the aisle seat, you're in the middle or the window, and you know that the more you drink, the more you're going to have to get up to go to the bathroom. If you know that you're someone who has to get up multiple times to take a piss during the flight, if you consume a lot of liquid, you just can't. You got to abstain. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. There's a there's a social contract, I think, between the people in each of the three seats. And if you are in the middle or the window, you have an unspoken obligation to not force the aisle seater to get up unnecessarily. You know, if you have an emergency, one thing, fine. If it's like a 12 hour flight, fine. But within 45 minutes, an hour, even an hour and a half, two hours, come on, go in the airport. You should be fine. It's a, it's an unspoken social contract. And if you break the earlier, you break it, the more awkward it's going to be for the rest of the flight between you and the other person. Cause they're going to be stewing, looking at you being like, okay, yeah, when's he going to get up again? When's he going to make me get up again? Do I even, can I go to sleep? Is it safe to take a nap? Because this bozo is going to make me fucking stand up because he can't hold it. Yeah. Or you should have paid for the aisle seat, which I'm an aisle seat guy. I always pick the aisle seat every single time. But then you're the one who's being inconvenienced rather than being the inconveniencer. That's fine. You know, I mean, that sucks, but it's fine because I'm not like a six foot eight big dude. A lot of times I don't even have to get up for people to get up or I can just kind of swing my legs over to the side of the seat, which I don't really mind doing. Like that's what part of why I pick the aisle seat is because you get extra leg room for, for free, you know? So I'm an aisle seat guy too, but then the car comes by and it hits you in the knee. Yeah, that and, sucks. And you always look up. I always do this. I always look up at the flight attendant as if it's, it's some like egregious personal attack and she's just doing her job, rolling her cart along and my big clumsy legs in the way but i just can't help that reflexive reaction but that's one of the the pitfalls of choosing the aisle seat yeah what's the most embarrassing thing you've ever done in an airport the most embarrassing thing was something i i guess i didn't do in an airport was i had about five hours to kill on a layover between uh in the london's heathrow airport coming back from edinburgh going back to boston and I thought I had all the time in the world. I sat at a Starbucks, was next to this beautiful Swedish girl. And we started, probably, honestly, one of the most beautiful girls I think I've ever met in my life. So I sat next to her. We started talking somehow. And we talked for like a good three hours, three and a half hours. Like it's pretty, like we're having a good, good conversation. And before I know it, I hear a boarding call. And I'm like, oh, shit, like my flight is boarding. It's like a last call. I had like maybe 10 minutes before the flight was done boarding. I was in the cafeteria, nowhere near my flight. And I then realized I wasn't even in the right terminal. Oh no. So and you have to take one of those little uh, airport trains to get to the right terminal. So the second I realized this, I just get up, sprint away from her. I don't even know if I said goodbye. Like mid conversation, you just bailed pretty much mid conversation. I was just, I, the, the, the flashing, uh, the, the image of me, like not being stuck in the airport and like in London and not being able to get home to the U S was just like, 
overwhelmed me in that moment. And I got up, sprinted away, probably mumbled something nonsensical at her and spent the next six hours on my flight home thinking I can't believe I didn't even get her number. So that sounds to me like the perfect Craigslist misconnection right there. Like that, that should have been on misconnections. It'd be favorited. I did, you know, that thing when you meet someone, you go on Facebook and you try and find them. I, I pulled up Facebook, I think. And I was like, I just sat there and stared at it blankly. Like how, what, what, what hot blonde Swedish girl. Okay. You've narrowed it down to every girl in Sweden. I did. I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing. You didn't even know her name. Nope. I didn't know her name. I, I knew. I know what city she's in, but that's it. Gothenburg. So if a hot Swedish girl who lives in Gothenburg is listening to this, who was in the Heathrow Airport uh, f- four years ago, hit me up. All right, Tim. What is the favorite trip you've ever taken for work? Definitely Macau. I I, I don't know anybody that's been to Macau or. Macau is essentially the Vegas of China. It's like a, it's a casino city. So we went to this like casino Vegas style performance the last night. And it was called Fuerto Bruzi, I think. Fuerto Bruza, something like that. But it was a bunch of crazy performers flipping around on nets, doing crazy tricks. And it was just, it was cool to be there with all the other journalists. We had a really nice Brazilian dinner before that. And uh, it was, it was a really cool experience. So yeah. I would say Macau. And you got removed from the uh, the Hong Kong airport on the way back from Macau, right? I did, yeah. That was when that crazy experience went down. All right. If you could swap one endangered species for a non-endangered species, which would they be? So if you could make one endangered species not endangered anymore, but endanger, pick a species to endanger. I would swap... <laughs> I would swap out humans for pretty much anything on the list, probably. Wow. Um, you know, I, I don't know, man. Like, I would, you know, like, I think a common That's... general answer would be putting mosquitoes on the endangered species list. But... Okay, but we're going to go with your first answer of humans. Humans would be the one species that you would endanger if you could. Yeah, there's way too many of us. That's you. You're, you're in the, So yourself. That's That means... There's like a six-year sure. expiration date on Tim Winger. That's it. Extinct. He's extinct. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've probably caused more harm in the world than, than good. Yeah, same. All right, and last one. If you could only listen to one song for the rest of your life and never hear any other music ever again, what would it be? Um, I would probably choose the song Thick as Thieves by the Menzingers because... Either that or Even If She Falls by Blink-182. Those are my two favorite songs. So the uh, Can you can you sing us an excerpt from that first song? Because I don't know that we're familiar with it. Um, we can we could share a link in the show notes. But uh, the, mm, nah, I think people want to hear your rendition, Tim. I, I just love the guitar riff. It's burning inch, burning inch, burning inch, dinch, dinch. All right, Tim's getting all fired up, so we better call it here. But... Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Leave us a comment in the review section of Apple Podcasts about how you feel about traveling during COVID and what is the most embarrassing thing you've ever done in an airport. Come on, guys. Make me feel a little bit better about myself. Make sure to subscribe and check back next week for a brand new episode. Or else, I mean, you're just going to be the odd man out around the virtual water cooler on Wednesdays, and we don't want that, do we? Well... 
I'm Evan. I'm Tim. We'll see you later. Tim, play us out with your special song. Burning inch, burning inch, burning.